Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. Hey listeners, it's Mishi. This week, we released our 50th wartime diary. Next week is Yom HaZikaron and Yom HaTzmaut. And as a way of marking this milestone, and these dates, Yochai Meital and I will have a series of onstage conversations in New York and Cleveland. We'll discuss the process of creating wartime diaries, talk about some of the challenges we've encountered, the dilemmas we've had, the insights we've gained, so if you want to hear what covering the evolving story of this war has been like for us, we'd love to see you at one of our events. All the details are on our site, israelstory.org. And meanwhile, wishing us all calm and peaceful days ahead. Hey guys, it's Mishi. Happy New Year. Our most recent episode... Round Trip, featured a story by Chaya Gilboa. It was all about returning to Israel mid-pandemic and mid-pregnancy. And in the days since it aired, we've heard from many of you, listeners all the way from Australia to Argentina, asking where they might find other stories by Chaya. Luckily, we've got you covered. See, back in 2014, in what seems like a lifetime ago, our third ever episode included yet another wonderful gem by Chaya. And we thought it would be particularly fitting to re-air it today, on the first day of the year, when so many of us are making New Year's resolutions and embarking on new, hopeful journeys. Because, as you'll hear, this story is just that, a quixotic, improbable, yet inherently optimistic journey. Okay, with that, here's the most beautiful book ever written, from our 2014 episode, People of the Book. About half an hour southeast of Be'er Sheva, basically in the middle of nowhere, there's a small town, Dimona. 
Around the world, it's best known for what Israel denies is there, our national nuclear plant. I hope I don't get into trouble for saying that. And honestly, that's more or less what it is for most Israelis, too. A quick pit stop on the way to Elat. You get out of the car, you go to the bathroom, crack a lame joke about radiation, and keep on driving into the desert. Dimona was originally built in the 50s as what was then known as an Ayarat Pituach, a dumping ground for waves of immigrants from North Africa. It's a very well-known saga, but the leaders of Mapai, the ruling labor party, essentially tricked these new immigrants into believing that they were being housed in a central location with lush surroundings, that it was a 10-minute bus ride from Haifa and the beach. But reality was bleak. Poverty, unemployment, crazy heat, and nothing but sand and sand and sand. Almost all the people still around from that generation are super bitter. Whoever could, left. But for Chaya Gilboa, a 31-year-old with a huge mane of flaming red curls, Dimona is something completely different. It's where she first encountered the most beautiful book ever written. It all began in Dimona, which is basically the last place I thought anything could ever start. I was in the middle of my second year as a Talmud major at Ben Gurion University in Be'er Sheva, and I'd fallen head over heels for this guy, a percussionist, from Dimona. I was so desperate for his attention that I began roaming around kind of aimlessly in his sleepy town, hoping to bump into him. But just in case that happened, I needed a good excuse. In the end, I found the perfect one. A local oud teacher agreed to give me some lessons on an instrument that I had never before touched and frankly had no real desire to master. So there I was in Dimona twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, making sure I arrived early enough to wander the streets, hoping to meet my guy. On one particularly sweltering mid-July Thursday, I ducked into the municipal library for some shade. The elderly librarian looked up and gave me a suspicious glare as she slowly dragged a cart full of books behind her. A few kids sat on puffy pillows in the corner and listened quietly as a volunteer read to them from Edmondo de Amici's heart. I picked up a random book that was laying around on one of the tables. Pinchas Sadez Sefer HaGasim Atzubim, The Book of the Yellow Pears. I vaguely recall the author's name. In high school, if I remembered correctly, we were forced to read another one of his books, Life as a Parable, for our final matriculation exam. After flipping through its pages for a few minutes, I made sure the librarian wasn't looking, slipped the book into my bag, and walked out of the library. When I think back on it today, I actually have no idea why I stole that book instead of just borrowing it. I guess I was so nervous about the guy that I didn't want to leave any traces of ever having been there. A week later, I finally mustered enough courage and called my guy. We sort of dated for a few weeks till he decided I wasn't his type, and that was that. The library, the unbearable heat, and my oud teacher all stayed in Dimona while I returned to my Talmud books and student life in Be'er Sheva. A year passed, and Yom Kippur came around. I was home in Jerusalem, but didn't want to spend the holiday in the ultra-Orthodox neighborhood where I had grown up and where my family still lived. 
For once, I wanted an uplifting spiritual alternative, one that wasn't comprised of long hours staring at the pages of the prayer book in the crowded ladies section of the local synagogue. So I asked a friend if he would spend a quiet day with me at a small natural spring in the hills of Jerusalem. When he honked from downstairs, I quickly threw some clothes into a bag, surveyed the bookshelf, and without much thought, grabbed a smallish book with that cheap plastic cover old libraries use, and ran for the door. Okay, this might be a good time for a confession. I like to exaggerate and romanticize. A lot, actually. But this, I promise you, is not one of those times. Here's the plain truth. Pinchas Sadeh's Book of the Yellow Pears was, hands down, the most beautiful and wild text I'd ever read. I've reread it many times since, but the impression it made on me that very first time while I was dangling my feet in the cold water of the spring in Evan Sapir on Yom Kippur before the last year of my university will never really fade. His sad, short stories wormed their way into my heart and tinkered with my breath. It's such a cliche, but I couldn't put it down for a second. When I reached that last page, I suddenly had this rare moment of total clarity. An epiphany, I guess. My future love, my life partner, the one I was always looking for, would somehow be connected to this book. I turned to the inside back cover and pulled out the borrowing card. That little index card in which stern-looking librarians used to write down the name, address, and telephone number of the borrowers. You know, in the era before books started being checked out like items in the supermarket. There were five names, three men and two women. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but at that moment, as the sun was setting and Yom Kippur was ending, I was just certain that my Bashert, the father of my future children, was on that list. That night, I broke the fast with an old friend. I told him about my plan to call each of the three men on the card and insist that they meet me. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard, he said. If someone called me with that story, I'd immediately call the police and tell them an insane woman had stolen a book from the Dimona Public Library and was now stalking me. But I didn't care. I knew that my romantic fate was inscribed on the library card of the most beautiful book that had ever been written. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now, back to Chaya and her quest for love. Through the pages of the most beautiful book ever written. Years later, I still try to understand what exactly made me impose my wild fantasy on someone I hadn't even met. As if love wasn't something that happened naturally between two people, but instead required some third external entity to form the bond. I waited for two days before calling the first guy on the list, Udi. Doing my very best to sound extra nice, extra sane, I asked for a minute of his time. I then told him about the book and how I felt there was some special bond between all those who read it. 
Udi sounded kind of stunned by the whole thing and was a bit too quick to point out that he had no recollection of borrowing the book from the Dimona library or for that matter of ever reading it. After a few seconds of what was a very awkward silence, he suddenly remembered. A few years ago, he told me he had taken it out for a friend who needed it for a seminar paper he was writing. This disappointing answer caught me off guard. I had liked Udi's voice from the moment he had picked up the phone. Do you want his number? Udi asked. I debated whether this was within the rules of my fantasy. Sure, it was once removed connection, but still it felt kosher. I hesitated for a second and said yes. With a friend, it was much easier. He was from Belsheva, remembered the book well, and was happy to meet up. But something in the conversation, maybe it was his tone or cadence, seemed a bit off. Still, I was on a mission, and I wasn't going to let any vague feeling stop me. We met at a bar not far from the university. My heart was racing when we shook hands. I looked up at him melodramatically and explained the whole thing in one breath. He seemed completely bewildered, trying to grasp the fast stream of words spilling out of my mouth. When I finally stopped to inhale, he smiled. I get it, he said. It's such a charming story and you seem so sweet, but I gotta tell you that I don't exactly fit the role you've cut out for me. I live with my boyfriend, you see, so... It took me a few moments to recover. I let him pay for my beer and went home to strike his name off the list. But honestly, my inner screenwriter was secretly pleased. Every good tale needs a few twists, and this, I convinced myself, was just a mandatory first plot point. I took a deep breath, picked up the phone, and dialed potential lover number two, Nathan. I had to leave him several voice messages before he finally called me back. After quietly listening to me for a while, he began interrogating me. Who was I? What had I been doing in Dimona? Was I interested in meeting him for a research project? He adamantly refused to meet in Belsheva or really anywhere outside of Dimona, so I went to meet him. In the car on the way there, I thought to myself that I love the name Nathan. Sure, the immediate association is with Sharansky, the famous cap-wearing refusenik-turned-hawkish politician. But still, the name has such a crisp and warm sound to it. It's a lover's name. A companion. Someone to grow old with. My ride dropped me off at the entrance to town, and I walked towards its small, dusty center. Nathan recognized me at once, based on the description I had given him on the phone. I guess not that many curly redheads show up looking lost in central Dimona. He waved with a friendly hello. He was sitting on a plastic chair outside a kiosk, balancing a cup of black coffee on his knee. He had brown eyes, thick black hair, and one dimple on his left cheek. Sweet-looking, but just about my father's age. As I waited for the bus back to Beersheva, I started to wonder about this whole escapade. Was I forging ahead out of a true conviction that my beloved was on that old library card? Or had I just fallen in love with my story, with the romanticism of the search? Before I could answer that question definitively, it was one last name on the card. My final shot. God, I looked up and pleaded, be kind. I didn't want to believe that I had been wrong, that the library card wasn't my secret map to love. Shalom was the third on the list. It took me a few days to get through to him because the last two digits of his phone number on the card were smudged. 
I patiently tried every possible combination until I reached him. Maybe it was my perseverance or just luck, but Shalom got me immediately. Everything seemed to fit. I checked this time. He was my age, straight, had a soft voice and remembered the book. His dad lived in Dimona, but he was now studying social work at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. I got on the 470 bus with quite a bit of excitement. I brought the book with me, and he got a kick out of that. He had these big, comforting eyes and didn't think I was crazy at all. I liked him. Then he told me that he actually didn't enjoy the book at all and had borrowed it by mistake, thinking it was a different Pinchas Adeh novel. Was this enough to call the whole thing off? To declare the voyage for my literary soulmate an utter failure? After all, I had set out believing that whoever loved this book as much as I had would also have to love me, that it was enough for two strangers to share a love for a third thing in order to bind them together forever. So now what? Shalom didn't care for the book, but he liked the story I had created around the book. At least that's what he told me. He walked me to the station to catch the bus back to Belsheva. But before we parted, he touched my cheeks so naturally that my heart kind of quivered. So I didn't get on that first bus that came, or the second. I stayed in Jerusalem that night and dove headfirst into an intense love affair. As much as I would like to stop right here, I can't. The story has a different ending. After two months, Shalom broke up with me. Honestly, I can't really blame him. I don't even know how he stuck around that long. When he ended it, he told me that he felt like I was more enchanted by the idea of who he could be than who he really was. I knew he was right. I mean, nothing gave me more satisfaction than knowing that my crazy odyssey had panned out, than telling people how we met, and seeing the jealous faces as we unfolded the tale of our improbable romance. But if I'm being honest with myself, there wasn't much more than that. We went our separate ways, and I uh, haven't seen him since. And the stolen copy of the Book of the Yellow Pears? I hid it behind a row of cookbooks on my shelf and swore never to read it again. That didn't last. I've returned to it since, dozens of times, in search of secret clues hiding behind Sadez's words, hoping that somehow they'll point me towards my guy, who, like me, understands. Chaya Gilboa, Dana Rutenberg read the story. Thanks to Mitra Kaboli, Paul Ruest, and Julie Subrin. Hey, Chayale, how are you? Mishi, Matok. Hi, Marik. Can you introduce yourself? So my name is Marik Stern, and uh, besides being the partner of now a famous podcaster, Chaya Gilboa, I'm also a researcher at the geography department at the Hebrew University. And Marik, my number one question to you is, have you read Sefer Agassim Atzubim? No, I didn't. <laughs> How is that possible? Yeah, actually, it's not really my style, this author. 
It has a uh, is uh, two, I tried. I tried is, a few times. It's too sentimental for me. So uh, So Chaya, how did you marry Marik even though not only did he not read it but he's saying it's not even his style? I know. I know. That's a big question. Uh, to be honest, when we start dating, I I gave him the book and I said I'm really curious to know what you think and he said sure I'll read it because it was a time when he wanted to impress me. But then I realized that the book is just sitting near his bed and he never read it. And only after like I think few months I asked him again why you didn't read it or what did you think about it? And then he said, you know, actually, I don't like the author. And I thought that that's you know, the end of the relationship. <laughs> But then, you know, And here you are, and now you're sitting uh, together, and Chaya is nursing your third little child. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we don't need Pinchas today, you see. I mean, speak to yourself. I still need you. <laughs> <laughs> Israel Story is produced in partnership with Tablet Magazine. Our staff is Yochai Meital, Zev Levi, Yoshi Field, Skyler Inman, Joel Shupak, Marie Ruder, Sharon Rapaport, and Rotem Tzin. Jeff Umbro from The Podglomerate is our marketing director. Clara Fug, Michael Vivier, and Alicia Vergara are our wonderful production interns. I'm Ishi Harman, and we'll be back very soon with our next episode. So till then, here's to welcoming in a better 2021. Stay safe, shalom shalom, and yalla bye. <laughs> Al
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.